Well, good morning, everyone. Um, it feels amazing to be back in this space um, after all this time, and also feel sad that um, we don't have our community with us. Um, as Nick mentioned, uh, we'll be testing our streaming from Vesper for the next month. And what I do want to recognize um, is just those who have been uh, doing some amazing work behind the scenes uh, for the past three weeks trying to get us to this place. Uh, so I want to recognize the, the tech team, uh, Nick Zdrozny, Joe Chan, uh, Matthew Slimmer, uh, Eric Robinson, and Marcos Acosta. Um, and just for their hard work, and, and Harmon as well, just the last three weeks um, trying to make this transition to stream here from Vesper. Uh, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, as Nick also mentioned, uh, we'll continue to, to monitor what's happening in our city, and we'll, the leadership team will uh, be discerning uh, just when and, and how we can actually do in-person liturgy uh, in the coming months. So this morning, um, we have our very dear friend, uh, Jenna, who will open up the scriptures for us. Uh, so Jenna, welcome. Hi, welcome. Uh, I also am just so thankful for everyone who's made it possible for us to still gather together uh, wherever you're joining us from at home or uh, wherever you are. We just treasure this time together. So a uh, very warm welcome to you. We have arrived now at the time in our scripture, in our liturgy, where we open the scriptures together and listen to what the Spirit is saying to us as a Vox community. And so uh, our text today invites us into a conversation about believing. What does it mean to believe? So this is a word that Jesus really places at the center of everything. Uh, so to set the scene for today, imagine a crowd large enough it would be spilling out of the doors of Vesper, like down the block, and Jesus had fed this crowd with a few loaves and fishes, and we're told that they ate all that they wanted, so everyone was satisfied, and now it's been a night and another day, and so now they're back because they're hungry again. So they circle Jesus like seagulls, and... Uh, he tells them, come to me, not just for food that spoils, but for food that lasts forever, food from God. So that's where we pick up this morning. And Jesus' words sparked a question for the crowd that you may have asked in your own way before. What must we do to receive this food from God? Like, are there works of God we must perform? Like, what must we do? And Jesus stuns them with his answer. It's not what they expected him to say. So he answers, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one God has sent. Just believe. That's the whole of it. So that's the question our text invites us into today. What do we imagine it means to believe? And I'd like to offer us this as a way to begin. So if you're willing... Wherever you are, would you just take a deep breath, and if you find it helpful, you might close your eyes and begin to notice what comes to mind when you hear this word, believe. Were there things you were taught that believing means or looks like? Or was there a moment you might have been presented with the question, do you believe? 
And was it presented as a yes or no question? Was it presented as a decision you were being asked to make? Just notice what memories or images come to mind. So now let's ask it in a, another way. Perhaps with eyes still closed, take another breath. And now bring to mind a trusted close friend whom you might say you believe in. You might concentrate on their face and just say to yourself, I believe in this friend. And notice, what do you mean when you say that? So if you can capture it in a word or a phrase, when you're ready, I want to invite you to turn to the person next to you or at home or type it in the chat. Just a word or a phrase. What do you mean when you say you believe in this friend? And I'm going to give you just a moment and we'll see what comes to mind. So I'm watching the chat to see, but anyone who's present here, any word or phrase that you might want to share? What came to your mind when you thought, I believe in this friend? Trust. Trust. Yeah. Beautiful word. Yeah. Someone else? That, say it again. That you want the best for them. Yeah. Love it. Confidence in them. Yeah, other words that are coming up from folks at home, trust, loyalty. Yeah, when I thought about this question, a friend came to mind that I would say I believe in. And what I mean by that is that I feel like I can be more of myself in my relationship with her. I notice I come towards her easily with what I'm wanting or feeling, whatever it is, and I find myself taking more risks when I'm with her, like hiking unknown territory or sharing something I may not be super confident about because I believe in her. I trust, I trust her to be good to me. So I want to invite us to hold all these different things that believing could mean in mind while we turn our attention to three practices that Jesus offered his friends when they had a difficult time understanding him when he spoke about believing. So three practices, two of which the the crowd found pretty reasonable, and the last one they found absolutely bizarre. Just uh, they were bewildered by it. So we'll look at all three this morning, and I think it's helpful for us to take our time with this question. What does it mean to believe? Because Jesus spoke about believing as if it was like the elixir of life itself. Like he said, this is essential to your well-being. And he said, this is the whole reason I came. So for you, believing is like the key that unlocks everything. So my hope is that the practices we're going to explore today will leave us with some fresh ways of engaging what believing might look like for each of us. So here's the first practice. Our text begins with Jesus saying this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So I want us to notice here that Jesus equates believing with coming to or coming toward. So 
perhaps there is a decision involved, like a decision to move our bodies in a particular direction, to come toward what we're hungry for. And the crowd that day was circling Jesus because they were hungry and they were unapologetic about it. And their act of coming to Jesus with their hunger was, it was really an act of trust, of believing in him. And it brings to mind something I witnessed several years ago that I'll share with you. It still makes me smile to think about it. So we were at a restaurant with some friends, and uh, our daughter Gracie was maybe six or seven, little. And she was one of the youngest kids in that group. And the restaurant was super crowded. And so the kids were all being really patient, waiting for us to be seated. And finally, the server leads us to this long table. And all of the adults end up at one end, and all the kids were down at the other end. And I kind of signaled to Gracie down the table that when her time came, she could just order whatever, just look at the pictures and order whatever she wanted off the menu because it was too hard to coordinate across the table. So sometime later, the server came and starts handing out the food. So a bowl of soup here, taco here. And then all of a sudden, this eruption of noise, this like cacophony from the other end of the table uh, happens. And I sort of stood up and looked over the row of heads to see like, what is going on? And this picture will give you an idea of what I saw. So in front of our tiny girl, the server had set this giant, this whole branzino. So the head, fins, eyes, tail, everything. And the, the child next to her had to scoot over to make room for this enormous platter. And uh, it was exactly what our girl wanted. <laughs> and when she looked up and saw the surprise on my face, she said, what? I'm hungry. She had believed in me when I said, order whatever looks good to you on the menu. And that was an act of trust. So when Jesus said, whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty, he was acknowledging there's trust involved in coming to him, coming to God with our hunger. And he was saying, friends, you are coming to me hungry, and that's good. That's the first step in believing. So if for us a first step in believing also might mean coming toward Jesus, just hungry and unapologetic about it, extending our hands for the whole Branzino, uh, I think the prayer of examine may be helpful for us. One form of this prayer is simply to take a moment and reflect on the question, what am I hungry for today? So perhaps uh, you might just take a deep breath now and simply notice something you want, something you're hungry for, an authentic desire. And perhaps imagine coming to God, holding your hunger in your hand. And just notice what that practice is like. It might feel vulnerable. It might feel like an act of trust. And as we practice this over time, we're going to notice a few different things. So Sometimes those desires will be met. Sometimes those desires will change. Sometimes those desires will go unmet. And over time, we may discover what Ignatius calls consolation, this peace and trust about our life in whatever season. And perhaps that's a helpful way to think about what it means to believe, to come toward Jesus hungry and unapologetic, and find, as we do, that it expands our trust. 
So that's the first practice. And now let's look at the second one that might offer us an even deeper understanding of what believing might mean. So a few verses later, we find Jesus saying this, for it is written in the prophets and they shall be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So I find it interesting here that Jesus equates believing and coming to him with hearing and learning, but in the reverse order. So not believe and come so you can hear and learn, but he flips it around. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So what if hearing and learning from God comes first, and then that sparks movement, like a coming toward Jesus naturally as believing expands within us? When I read this, I imagine the hours and days and years that Jesus spent listening and hearing and learning from God so that he came to experience God as trustworthy and believe in God as one would a trusted parent. He says, learning from the Father, like a trusted parent. And if we ourselves grew up with a trusted parent, we may find we have an easier time imagining what this practice of listening, learning from God might look like for us. Many of us, though, had a parent who simply just wasn't available or trustworthy for whatever reason. So we may have less of a roadmap for this practice. And if that's the case, we might find it helpful to draw upon uh, relationships we've witnessed that give us some glimpse of that trust that is possible between a child and a parent or that Jesus is suggesting is possible between us and God. And I'll share with you one story I heard several years ago. It was a man in his 90s. He was a Quaker. Uh, He was reminiscing about his childhood. And he said one morning his father took him and his brothers and sisters by horse-drawn wagon into town. And as they were turning the corner, suddenly the father yelled, jump! And all of them jumped and landed in the street, on the side of the street. And it was lucky because it was just in time, after that the horse bolted off and started sprinting and the wagon toppled. And so a crowd immediately flocked to see what had happened. And the father explained that as they were turning the corner, he had noticed this bolt was coming loose on the wheel. And that's when he turned to the children and yelled, jump. But the children were still just mystified that all the the people were mystified that all the children had made it out safely right in time, right before the cart toppled. But the 90-year-old man who was telling this story just shook his head and he said that it was no great mystery to them, the children, that they had reacted so quick because it was the only time they'd ever heard the old man yell. Now, the part of that story that stayed with me was not the part about the father never yelling, because I don't need another reason to feel bad about myself as a parent. But what, what I really, and I also don't believe that that's what saved the children that day. But what I found myself imagining after hearing that story was the hours and days and years that the children had perhaps spent listening and hearing and learning from their father, and what they were learning was that he could be trusted to be good to them. And what saved them that day was their belief, then, in his trustworthiness. So if listening, hearing, and learning from God can be a helpful step toward believing, what might that practice look like for us today? 
I, I think it could look a lot of ways, but one possibility might be just listening prayer, simply sitting with our eyes closed for 5, 10, 20 minutes, breathing slowly, and just saying to God, I'm listening. And if you've ever tried listening prayer for any length of time, you know what's likely to happen. Our mind starts to wander, we get squirmy, we feel a lot of things. We may feel frustrated that we don't hear anything, and I think all that's okay. I would invite us to just simply turn our attention back to our breath and just say again, I'm listening, I'm listening. And whatever we hear, let's not overanalyze it or consider it written in stone. Let's just say thank you and then come back and try it again tomorrow. Trusting that over time, as we practice listening, hearing, and learning from God, it may eventually spark movement within us, like a coming toward Jesus naturally as belief in his trustworthiness expands. Okay, so those are the, two pra- the first two practices, listening and learning from God and coming toward Jesus with our hunger. And now let's look for clues in this third practice of what believing might look like for us. So our text wraps up with Jesus saying this. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and died, but this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So the crowd was comfy enough with come to me and hear and learn. But when it came to taste and eat my flesh and live, they lost their loving minds like pandemonium broke loose. And they cried, who can accept this? This teaching is impossible. And I'm glad that the gospel writer told us that because rather than suggesting that they didn't understand what Jesus was saying, I think it tells us that they did understand or they were starting to get that believing in Jesus is not unlike taking him inside us. And that's risky. Because then something might happen inside us that we can't predict. A couple of Sundays ago, we held a going away party at Cherrywood Coffee for some dear Vox friends, Joe and Andrew. We miss you if you're watching at home. And many of you friends came out for one last patio hang. And some of us were sitting around a picnic table. And we were talking about books that we had enjoyed growing up, and someone mentioned their favorite was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I started thinking about a conversation C.S. Lewis writes in that story. So the children are speaking about Aslan, whom they've never met. And Mr. Beaver tells them, oh, he's a great lion. And Susan says, oh, is he safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And Mrs. Beaver says, that you will, dearie, and make no mistake. And then Lucy says, then he isn't safe? And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. And this is part of what I think Jesus' friends were beginning to understand, that 
Believing in him is not a safe invitation. If by safe we mean taking no risks and doing mostly what has come naturally to us as human beings from the beginning, just preserving our own lives and privileges at the expense of others. And if that's what we mean by safe, Jesus is not that. But is he good? And how would we know? If we look for goodness in Jesus' teachings, I'm not sure we'll find it there. I do think it's there, but if we listen only to his words, I don't know that we'll understand them enough to let that goodness in so that it can change us on the inside. I wonder if instead the invitation is to taste and eat this entire story. Like, not just Jesus' words and teachings, but all of who he is, how he approached life and love and death, and what that revealed to the world. And that, I think, is what Jesus' close companions found difficult to swallow. As they came to Jesus, and they came to understand, oh, Jesus is God. So when we look at Jesus, we are seeing God. There's no part of Jesus that is not also God, and no part of God that is not also Jesus. Even his closest companions, I think, had a difficult time tasting this and not spitting it out, because Jesus tasted so different from how they expected God to be. They had expected God to come with violence, to attack their opponents. They were hungry for it. They expected Jesus to lead them in battle, and John tells us that some in the crowd that day intended to take Jesus by force and make him their king, like a weapon to use against their enemies. And Jesus said, Beloved, no. That's not who God is. They brought criminals to Jesus, expecting him to stone them, and he said, no, that's not who God is. They brought outcasts to him, expecting Jesus to shame them and make an example of them, and he said, no, that's not who God is. And they brought swords, expecting him to defend himself and fight back, and he said, no, that's not who God is. And finally, they came to put him to death, and he said, Beloved, if you believe that someone must die, let it be me, because that's who God is. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh, because this is who God is. Believe. In a moment, we'll be invited to take the Eucharist, this ancient practice where we place the Christ story in our mouths, and we chew on it, we drink it in, and we swish it around. We metabolize it, and we notice how it changes us on the inside, this unexpected revelation of who God is. And when we taste the bread and drink from the cup, our whole body is involved in remembering what the Christ story reveals to us about God's trustworthiness. And like Jesus' friends, we may find it tastes different than we expected God to be. 
But perhaps as we practice taking this story in, we'll find it sparking trust within us, maybe by surprise. Clearing up our misperceptions about who God is and expanding our belief in God's trustworthiness toward us as we practice coming to God with our hunger, listening and learning, tasting and eating this story so one day we also might live it and being able to say to our enemy, beloved, if you believe someone must die, let it be me because this is who God is. Believe. Please pray with me. Loving God who invites us to come hungry for the whole Branzino. Trustworthy God who quiets our squirminess and whispers, listen, I'll tell you a story. God in a body, minus the mistrust, may belief expand within us. In the name of God, the storyteller, Jesus, the living story, and the spirit who is still writing ours. Amen.